Hi, everyone. Um, fortunately, we're going to be starting this podcast on a bit of a somber note. If you are active on football Twitter, you may have heard recently about the death of Omar Iqbal, who was active in the football Twitter community with the handle at Tapimpacat. Uh, Omar was a friend of ours, and so to hear about his death was hit us quite hard. So we wanted to um, give him a mention at the top of this podcast. Uh, yeah, um, Omar was um, especially a very close friend of mine. Uh, we met and became close during that sort of COVID period where I think was kind of the height of like <laughs> that sort of Twitter time, I guess, in terms of creating content and, and stuff. And Omar was one of the leaders in that. I think one thing that stood out to everyone immediately was incredibly intelligent guy, not just in terms of the analytics and stuff he put out, but just also his general thoughts, the way he engaged with things, um, his interests outside of football as well. Definitely a lot in music and and films that I've never even heard of. Uh, more engaged with him on the on the music stuff. We had similar interests there. Um, the other thing that I think always stands out from afar with with Omar um, and what made him such a popular figure on the timeline as well. Um, he's just the most effortlessly funny person I've I've ever met. <laughs> Definitely on Twitter, at least. Um, yeah, I think he he's just. It also speaks to to different sides of Omar. I mean, a, the, that that wittiness really, you know representative of of how smart a guy he was in terms of like that quick-wittedness um and yeah just that like knowing his audience knowing how to appeal to all the different types of audiences you have in the community making everyone laugh um but then also that other side of omar which was that like that gentleness that lightness as a person that that sensitivity where yeah he could just he could make everything funny because it felt light and because it felt fun and whether you were you know the the butt of the joke or whether he was the butt of the joke um yeah it just always felt fun and i think knowing omar more closely as time went on he, like that that side of him that empathetic like incredibly caring person is something that will always stand out for me he was a incredibly sensitive and, and yeah just an incredible person um very caring and like a real light. And I, I think I've never met anyone who could have a bad thing to say about Omar. And it's just, yeah, rep representative or reflective of who he is. And yeah, he was, he was an incredible, he's an incredible loss. Um, yeah. I hadn't really spoken much with Omar in the last year. He, he kind of went off Twitter and I'm not that active on Instagram, but I did kind of keep up with him on Instagram from afar um and and it seemed like he was having an incredible time um especially his uni um experience and everything and i think just with with what's happened uh, uh, something to take away i guess is just always check in on your on your friends and even when things seem like they're going well just yeah always check in and and yeah absolutely um Omar's friend Jonathan Peters is going to be running a marathon and is raising money for James's Place, a charity in Omar's memory. James's Place is a charity that works to save the lives of men in suicidal crisis. Um, we are going to leave a link to John's Just Giving page in the description of this podcast. Please give some money if you uh, are financially able to, uh, in honour of Omar and in memory of someone who i think it's probably fair to say even if not directly this podcast wouldn't be here without hello and welcome to pot shop i'm alex towels and i am joined by lorcan and alex today as we are going to discuss our two all draw against fulham Alex, what's your favorite takeaway? Okay, um, so I came prepared for this one. Uh, so I think, first of all, if we're talking more like deluxe, I think sushi is an amazing takeaway, or I don't know if you guys have ever had, but Pokeballs. Pokeballs are also an amazing takeaway, but that's quite pricey. So I think from an affordability perspective, I, I would probably say we have, we have a thing here in South Africa in Cape Town called Pedro's, which is really, really cheap, and it's like, it's like a Nando's light. Obviously, Nando's also comes from from South Africa, mm. but now it's you know it's a big big time. So, you know, being in England and all that. So, so it's too pricey for a takeaway. But but 
Yeah. Pedro's isn't quite as good in terms of like the taste of the chicken, but it's got good sauces. Um, you get good rice and everything with it. So, so that would be my answer. Probably Pedro's. It always confused me as well how Nando's is nominally Portuguese cuisine that comes from South Africa. I still don't know how that works. <laughs> but, um, See, uh, I, I never knew that it was South African, so I've learned something. I've made, yeah. a, point, I've made a point of making <laughs> that known that it's South African, but yeah. Um, I, mine's probably um, a Chinese, like an English Chinese. Um, if it's like takeaway, then I kind of want it to be grubby. Um, Chinese, ordinarily Chinese is like one of my favorite cuisines, like proper Chinese, um, but like British Chinese. So for those who don't know, that's like inauthentic Chinese and some of my favorite stuff, like salt and pepper, squid, um, sticky honey ribs, duck pancakes, even like curry chips. So yeah. (laughs) I I absolutely 100% agree with Lorcan. My go-to takeaway is a beef chow mein, British Chinese, like consistently costs between six and seven quid just bosh perfect portion size amazing stuff uh, i will however give a shout out to byron burger the burger chain takeaways uh because they they are a little bit more expensive but um when i was at university after i finished my final exams i got myself a byron burger takeaway as a treat and it was incredible so they deserve a shout out. I've heard it's good, but the idea of like a British take on Asian food just sounds disgusting to me. I've never obviously had it <laughs> and I, I don't, well, no. I probably will someday, but yeah, but yeah, I'll just go with you guys on that. <laughs> now, when you come to London, we'll get you a shitty Chinese takeaway, like the worst <laughs> one we'll, we can find and you'll love it. You won't know why you'll love it, but you'll love it. <laughs> I'm going to say something quickly, actually. My favorite Chinese place in London, um, which is actually a good Chinese place, is in Chinatown. And I went there. I've been going there for like a few years and I took my mates there and they still go there to this day, um, which is so like rewarding. Anyway, like a few months ago, my friend who just graduated from UCL took a picture of him in it and he was sitting next to Antonio Conte on the same day <laughs> that like Spurs had lost 4-2 or the day after they'd lost 4-2 to City. So oh I just wanted God. to put that in there. So, after we've alienated all our potential new listeners by talking about takeaways right off the top of the pod, we should probably talk about the reason why we might have some new listeners joining us on this podcast. Alex and Lorcan, you have just been on the TIFO Football Podcast with John McKenzie talking about Arsenal. How was that? Uh, it was really, really good. Um, yeah, an honour to be on, obviously. And yeah, we just discussed... I think starting off with last season, the problems that we faced last season, moving into, I think what was quite a big focus on our summer business and how that would, um, how that would go towards maybe patching up the problems from last season. But interestingly, maybe coming with some tactical um, accommodations or compromises that have, as we've spoken about a lot in the pod before, led to new problems. And, and as I've spoken about a lot, kind of a reset of our tactical, like, of our tactical journey. It's not the right word I'm looking for, but I'll, I'll, rather than an evolution, some sort of a reset or maybe a revolution of sorts. Lorcan, what was your favourite thing you chatted about with John? Oh, that's a good question. I actually, I'm going to go to the end of the podcast, um, not to spoil it at all, if, if new listeners haven't listened to it. Um, <laughs> Spoiler But no. I like the unexpected question of what would the like the sort of the benchmark be of success this season, which I hadn't really thought about before. Um, I mean, so you yeah, did. We did a season that. preview podcast where you said we were going to win the Premier League. Yeah, so. no, that, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I suppose I've just been thinking about it in terms of... Um, what will happen rather than what's success. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks so much to John and Mike and the rest of the TIFO lot for having us on. And yeah, on behalf of the whole pot shop, um, pod it was amazing to be represented um, i'm glad you guys had a good time and it was a really really great pod i've listened to it back um so if you haven't gone and listened to that go and listen to it it's amazing uh if you are here because you've listened to that welcome to the show hope you enjoy this weekend we drew two all at home against fulham 
In all too familiar fashion, we conceded a minute into the game after an unforced error from Bukayo Saka, while Partey and Ramsdale also didn't cover themselves in glory. Arsenal created a host of chances in the first half, dominating the ball and territory, and arguably looking as fluid as they have done all season, but we couldn't quite get the equaliser in the first half as Fulham went into the break, leading 1-0. Inketia came on at half-time, and Vieira and Zinchenko soon after, subs which changed the game as Arsenal scored two in quick succession to go 2-1 up by the 72nd minute, However, pretty much immediately after that, we relinquished control of the game back to Fulham, a pattern which continued even after Calvin Bassey, Fulham centre-back, got sent off, and ultimately we conceded from a corner in the 87th minute of the game uh, and were unable to grab a winner in nine minutes of stoppage time, even though we flipped the switch and started attacking again after that equaliser. So, there's no better place to start than the beginning, and at the beginning of this game, we had a stupid bozo moment that if it hadn't happened, we probably wouldn't have lost. Lorcan, what actually happened in the lead up to Fulham's opener? Yeah, I think simply put, um, it was what in the first minute of the game, um, Partey slotted into the back line as we've kind of been um, become accustomed to see recently. Um, and then the ball gets worked to Rice, who kind of plays a wall pass. Um, into Saka and then Saka plays back to where Partey would be um, but he's actually pushed up into midfield which you know I don't think he should have done on that occasion it leaves the right centre-back zone completely um, unmanned and then it was Andreas Pereira mm -hmm. yeah um, who I think tries to dink Ramsdale um, gets the execution or maybe I mean maybe it's deliberate in which case it's a really good finish um, Ramsdale is caught sort of going the wrong way, backpedaling. It's really awkward for him. Yeah, as you said, doesn't really cover himself in glory and they score. Yeah, it's not fun. Not a fun watch. And it's the third time in the last nine home matches that we have conceded inside the first minute. Which is a crazy The first time stat. it happened, we were like, wow, what a <laughs> fluke, hey? This happens, not going to happen all the time. The second time it happens, we were like, wow, Weird that we have two nickels now. Third time, starting to seem a little bit like a pattern. Um, but before we get on to why this keeps happening, um, what do we make of this error? Uh, Lorcan, you seem to imply that it's like, you think it's Partey's fault. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with Lorcan. I think he kind of suggested that. And I don't think Saka or Rams, they'll cover themselves in glory, but I wouldn't really put the fault with either of them. Um, but I think Partey just basically steps up. Saka passed almost like as an automatism, like back into that that spot to, to you know, relieve himself of the pressure. And then Partey wasn't there. So it's really hard to kind of attribute blame to Saka. I mean, maybe he could have been a bit more aware, but you, you know, you usually kind of bank on your teammates in this situation. And then with Regards to Ramsdale, I'm, I wouldn't really put myself as a, a goalkeeper, like, you know, expert at all. But even at the time, I think a lot of people took issue with him. I don't take issue with that initial positioning at all. And then I think it is just an awkward one. I agree with Lorcan as well, I think. It looks like Pereira is trying to kind of chip him. And then it just goes the wrong way. Ramsdale definitely could have done better. I think a better keeper, you know, and these are weaknesses with Ramsdale, I think. Um but I don't think it's necessarily his fault, if that makes sense. So I think in an, another keeper might have been able to make up for it. Ramsdale didn't. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say the fault lies with him in terms of his positioning. And it is an awkward one. I think I'm probably willing to attribute a little bit more blame to Saka than you guys are. Like obviously Partey shouldn't move up, but Saka also has eyes yeah. and can see yeah. that Partey isn't there. Yeah. He yeah. shouldn't have played that pass. Maybe I'm being um, too kind. I think we've got a good understanding now of why this specific first minute at home bozo moment happened. But as mentioned earlier, this is the third in the last nine games. That's not great. Why does this keep happening? I'm not sure. Um, sorry for the lack of analysis, but I'm really not sure. I think we maybe are a little bit asleep at the beginning of games, but I also think... I'm trying to remember the last two times this has happened. The one was Zinchenko was at fault, if I'm correct. It was sort of right at the beginning 
of a match. Well, obviously they all are. Um, but I think that it's been different situations each time, right? So this time it was just a, a bad decision from Partey passing back. I think the last one, I can't even remember the one before, but the last one I, re- I re- kind of remembered being Zinchenko's fault for just being asleep. Yeah, so I don't know if it's a general, like, not being awake, not starting well. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure if the fact that it has been sort of different situations points to a pattern um, in terms of, like, just general being awake or or if there's not much to read into it beyond it being, like, kind of ridiculous that this has happened three times in nine games. I agree with that. I think also we're an extremely intense side. Um, I think we'll touch on the emotion aspect, but we source a lot of energy from the fans, um, which is a big positive um, in that it makes our home games like raucous sometimes. I, I mean, um, and we relish that atmosphere, but I do think it can breed uh, a lack of focus at the beginning of, of games. And also like the idea that we need to get into um, a shape combined with that lack of focus sometimes leads to just us being caught out in, 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 in bad moments like that one off the top of my head against um, Bournemouth, which I think was the one you were talking about, Alex, um, where Zinchenko kind of inverts and we lose like a first or second ball and then suddenly we're caught out. Yeah, um, but yeah. I think it is that one. I'm, I'm interested. So I, I definitely agree. Part of it is like the having to get into shape, but I'm interested why you think it the like that you know emphasis on the energy in the stadium leads to a lack of focus um from the start is it just everyone's so willing to like get going like you can see Partey pushing up quickly wanting to get involved is that what leads to that lack of focus is that over enthusiasm or yeah I think so I think part of it is um yeah the the temperamental side of it um again this is just this is kind of the the intangible stuff where it's just based off vibes right um so there is that aspect and also like you think back to the the goal where we scored in the first minute against Liverpool I mean we were really going for it then um so I don't think that's uh I think those are kind of two sides of the same coin um yeah and then I don't know uh, sometimes you see teams perform like the technical actions or in the first few minutes really sort of deliberately whereas it almost feels like we don't do that and we're like right let's go up the pitch um but yeah Another bad habit that we've picked up recently, uh, and it's not even that recent because I remember sitting here probably about this time last year with you, Alex, and talking about very similar situations, is that after we get a go-ahead goal, we too, we're too eager to kind of sit on that lead and just settle into a mid-block and try and see the game out. Lorcan, why do you think we do this? And do you think it's intentional or do you think Arteta is as frustrated by this as we are? Yeah. So I would say, I think it's semi-intentional. So firstly, uh, after yesterday's game, I don't actually, I've found myself looking at the timeline briefly, not as mad as other people, just because I was like, it's an early game of the season. But one thing that really did annoy me was just how quickly we were um, we, we dropped into that block, uh, especially after Bassi got sent off as well. Um, and I, I'm, I'm just going to refer to uh, someone who, a friend and someone who I follow on Twitter called Minimum Width, um, who tweeted, I understand why Arteta would want this team to be comfortable defending a lead being deep in their own half, but they've got to keep the pressure up, keep the ball, keep it away from your own goal. They're true to themselves chasing a lead, but once that urgency is gone, they lose that identity. And I think that's a really good point. I think especially as we touched upon us being a really intense team. I think when we are chasing a lead, um, we have that sense of identity. Um, and in I think in a bid to make us more um, adaptable in various game states, Arteta has, first of all, recruited players, but also developed a side that can defend and genuinely has one of the best mid blocks um, in the league, which is crazy to say for a team that's, you know, dominates the ball. Um, but in that same vein, you then get the profiles which don't necessarily want to or, or tend to um, kill the team by a thousand passes, as, as I think Brendan Rodgers said first. Um, so, yeah, it's again, it's kind of two sides of the same coin um, and it's a it's a bad habit. Um, we've seen us not do it. I'm like I'm thinking specifically of Chelsea away last year 
Um, there are definitely a number of other examples as well. So we've shown that we don't do it, um, but it's a it's a really bad habit that you know it's really annoying. <laughs> yeah, to add, I have to say, I think this has been something that we've basically seen since two seasons ago. I remember the beginning of our 21-22 season. We'd have lots of bright starts. Um, if we didn't score in the first 10 minutes, then we'd still drop off. So a little bit different now. I do think we keep the pressure up until we score. Um, but it's as much an issue, I think, for me as in terms of... Oh, sorry, it's as much an issue in terms of focus, I think... Um, and keeping up that intensity, you don't need to actually press high to stay intense as a block, I think. Um, whereas what was happening, I remember in 21, 22, is we kind of keep getting pushed further back and back and back as the game happens. And I think that came from a bit of maybe confidence from the players and our ability to kind of, you know, control the game without the ball. I think we saw less of that last season. So I do think we still were guilty of dropping too deep into the block after getting a, going a goal up and then <clears throat> facing chances, right? But often being able to manage the types of chances that we faced, I think we were a bit better. I think Xhaka was a big part of what kept us intense in those and, you know, properly structured. This time it didn't feel like that. I think that sweet spot that we kind of got to last season, at least at least for me, I think, yeah, we kind of didn't control the game at all with, without the ball, when even though we were dropping deep so... So yeah, for me, for me, that was more the issue. Um, rather than dropping in, it was just that there wasn't that real control or like focus or intensity. I think it's probably something that defined us for a lot of this game is that lack of focus and lack of sharpness um, in our actions. So yeah. Let's talk about the game more widely now. Uh, and we should start with the starting lineup. We had an unchanged side from Palace, apart from the fact that there were two changes. Uh, Trossard came in for Eddie Nketiah, and Jakob Kivior came in for the suspended Tomiyasu. Um, Gabriel didn't start for the third game in a row. Were any of you guys surprised? Nah, I wasn't surprised by Gabriel not starting, um, because I still expected Partey to start. I didn't think Zinchenko would come back just yet. I think when Zinchenko comes back, then I'll be surprised if Gabriel's not a starter. Um, and then I'd also expect, obviously, when Zinchenko comes back, for that to mean everyone else shifts to the right. So Saliba right centre-back, White right back. But for as long as that doesn't happen, I, I wasn't particularly surprised. I was maybe a bit more surprised by Trossard for Eddie, because I think Eddie's been great in the first two games so far. But um, I also kind of understood the temptation to kind of Try Trossard. I think Arteta is also quite big on this, like, you know, let's see if you can make more out of the chances I give you to kind of keep up that level. So not that Eddie had done anything bad, but maybe Trossard could do better. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't particularly surprised by either change. Um, yeah. The decision not to start Gabriel does then mean we saw Partey at right back for the third game in a row. Uh, we are going to get into more specifics about his performance and the tactical implica tactical implications of Partey at right back later. Um, but let's just cover, do you guys think it was the right choice to continue with Partey at right back for this game? I do. I'll, I'll say that. Um, my, my, I get the criticisms of him there and maybe we might as well have the, the Partey discussion now, but... I, my sort of thing is what happens if, who were we going to play if we didn't play Partey there? And then how would that affect the rest of the dynamics? Would we have kind of, I uh, can't even remember, who did we play in right back versus Nuremberg? White. Was it White? So then, yeah, White at right back, Saliba Gabriel, and then Kivio is that sort of, as, as not even friend of the pod, but member of the pod, Lorcan has now called him the quarterback sort of, um, inverting but not quite the same as as Zinchenko would he be taking on that sort of inverting role so I, I do think Partey was the right choice I don't think Partey had a good game um, I also think criticisms of Partey for me a lot of these are the same things that were wrong with him last season I think some of them are, are exposed more now that he you know he has he's at right back so he has to defend different spaces particularly those ones out wide and that space behind him um 
But yeah, a lot of the decisions that he make, I still think are criticisms of him last season, which I think are valid. I'm obviously on this part, I think we we complain about Partey ad nauseum. Um, but yeah, I think it also it's just a it's a factor of his like declining athleticism. But I don't know who we play instead. Um, if we want someone averting, which is a, which is a different discussion in itself, right? And I think Partey still, despite not having the best game. Which has been a been a trend now since since basically twenty twenty three. Um, he was still important in terms of what he he could do for us. I think in possession, but I'm not sure where you stand on that, Logan. Another midfielder whose inclusion in the side is becoming increasingly controversial is Kai Havertz. Um, he is playing at midfield and. Lorcan did say in the... I, I think you said it on Twitter, or either in on Twitter or in the WhatsApp chat, if you hear someone calling him a midfielder, you're going to scream. So <laughs> enjoy screaming. Um, but what did you make of his performance today, Lorcan? Yeah, I think it was generally subpar. Um, just to touch on the positive stuff first, he did pick up um, really good positions, um, as did a lot of the people crashing the box. Um, there were a couple of running behinds that we tried to... Um, access which we didn't quite do um, good box crashing and, and arrival and performed his defensive stuff well um, so in that vein yeah that was fine um, that being said he played as an 8 it was a game where that showed um, there's that clip doing the rounds which I'm sure everyone saw the first time around anyways with him receiving with his back to goal um, in the pocket as it were with so much space ahead of him and he wants to play a wall pass backwards into Rice um, which was infuriating to watch, um, especially next to my dad, who really has it out for Havertz. Um, <laughs> but yeah, again, I'm not. I, I'm cautious. I don't want to criticize him for it um, because it's not for me. It's not you know. It's it's nothing new under the sun. He's not a midfielder. Um, he doesn't play well with lesser angles on those side either. Um, again, it's it's something we've talked about on the pod before. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I thought he was bad. Um, I think Lorcan's touched on where he was promising, and I think he was. But I think even if he if he scored one of those chances, I think it was a pretty poor display. Um, he actually did spend a fair amount of time, you know, rotated with Trossard to kind of play at the centre-forward position as well, and I think he was poor then too. This is in the first half. Um, Trossard himself didn't have his best performance, but I think... I would have kept Trossard on for the second half rather than Havertz. I, d- I just think Havertz didn't look good today. What really frustrates me about him is just that lack of intensity with anything. I mean, yeah, with the, with the connections and stuff like that. I think he can be really smart in the positions he picks up and stuff. But sometimes once he's in those positions and the ball's to his feet, he doesn't really make the right decision quick enough. And then it kind of, it 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 makes it redundant the good positioning, the good space that he's found in the first place. The goal threat's a different thing. I think particularly today, he was actually in a lot of good positions. So maybe, maybe, maybe it is a, it feels different if he does, you know, get passed to in the first place. I think Udago and Martinelli were both guilty of not passing him the ball in, in times that they should. But yeah, it wasn't a great performance in terms of anything that he did with the ball at his feet. And it does make me feel, I mean, I know I've kind of been the one hedging my bets between what Havertz is. Um, but it does make me feel that the best sort of thing he can is getting on the end of things. Um, yeah, what, what, he, what he did deep was just bad. It was bad. Like, he, he would get the ball. I, like, actually, this is the most that we've seen him actually dropping in alongside Rice to kind of help relieve pressure. And I don't even think Rice was particularly good at relieving pressure in that deeper area. I think he was quite good higher up as the game went along, but, but Havertz just made things worse um, and invited pressure, struggled to get the ball out of his feet. Um, and yeah, as, as Lorcan alluded to, made lots of, lots of bad, bad passes, undercooked. Um, yeah, that, that just invited pressure. I gave my opinions on early, early Arsenal career habits in the last pod. Uh, so I'm not going to like, really go off but I think I was kind of like proven right again by this game because so if you didn't hear the last pod I talked about how 
I think Havertz is still very much learning the system and the things that he's doing at the moment and the things he's doing well at the moment is just being a system player and doing all of the movements and rotations that you'd expect for him, like at like the bare minimum for the role that he's performing. Whereas what people expect from him is to be the guy that breaks the system, makes the risky pass, the risky dribble, the risky shot that's actually going to break down the low block and create a goal, create a chance for us. And I think that was shown up really well in this game when he was replaced by Fabio Vieira. Because the thing that Fabio Vieira is really good at is making those risky plays. So when when Vieira came in for Havertz, people started seeing really great line-splitting passes, wonderful assist, a wonderful little dribble to create the the penalty, earn the penalty. All these little things which we want to be seeing Havertz doing, but Havertz isn't doing yet because I think and I hope he's just still learning the system. Vieira's had a whole season, right, where we haven't really seen these things. We've only seen them in flashes because he was learning the season, learning the system for a season. And now we've seen him, now he knows what he's doing, really shine in this game. Maybe we're not going to see the best of Havertz for a whole whole year, but in that case, why is he starting? I just, just to go back to your point, I don't think Havertz will ever be able to do what Vieira does or what Vieira gave us this game. I think maybe I came off a little bit harsh a minute ago with how it in on Havertz, but because I don't think that this is like now, this was a bad sign necessarily and everything like that. I'm still waiting to look, but he, yeah, he just, he doesn't have, I don't think he has that final ball in him. He doesn't have that ability to kind of receive in the pockets, turn out of the pockets. I mean, you actually spoke, um, well, yeah, no, wait, Lorcan spoke about, you know, that that kind of video that's gone on Twitter where he receives back to goal, lots of space to turn. He can take it in his stride. Shaka would have been able to turn with that ball. Gabriel would have been able to turn with that ball if he was in that position, right? We can compare that to Fabio Vieira. There was actually, uh, I was talking to you earlier, Towers, right before the pod where I was watching the game back. There was this lovely little bit of pressure where Fabio faces pressure from two Fulham players trying to close him, and he just twists both ways and pulls out. Um, he just has a two-footedness that gives him this sort of like, it's like they're, they're liquid players in different ways, like Havertz is this floating, like almost ethereal being sort of vibe. He just hangs around and gets into things, but like, which you want in the final third? Which of the pitch, you do, you do not. Yeah, yeah. you do. You, when, which you, is why, yeah, you, you want it to come into. But like Vieira is the one that can actually make those things happen. I think maybe Havertz has really good vision and a good final wall. I can believe that, but I think he doesn't really have that ability to set him upself up so well to to play those final balls. And I, I think. Yeah, we can talk about Vieira, who just had a fantastic performance that that was really encouraging. But I think as much as Havertz learns the system, I think he won't ever be able to play the role that Vieira has taken time to learn. That That's absolutely fair. But I, I do think that his Arsenal career, Havertz, will be made or broken by his ability to do like system-breaking things picking up the ball and doing something unexpected. Whereas at the moment, all he's doing is the stuff that's expected from him from the rock. I agree. How much of how much of that do you still think is a confidence thing? Do you think once he scores his first goal, he's suddenly a little bit more aggressive with his actions? So I, I think and I hope it is largely a confidence thing, but we'll see with time. I am not like, I, I, I'm not a psychoanalyst. I'm not going <laughs> to sit here and do the... <laughs> body language analysis, <laughs> lip reading to try and figure out if Havertz is having a lovely time at Arsenal or not. So I don't want to make predictions on that. Let's keep going on on Vieira now I've brought him up. Uh, because as mentioned, he was really great. Alex, you've talked about how he was really great. Lorcan, do you want to talk about how he was really great? Yeah, um, I think he looked, he looked great. First thing, um, and I might be wrong in saying this, but I think he looked different in terms of physically. I think he looked bigger. Um, there were more purpose in his strides. And I think that was more conducive to him being effective on the left-hand side of the pitch, um, making those underlapping runs, like a lot of running power, which to be fair, he's, he's always had, I think. Um, he looked really confident as well. Um, and an awareness of time and space in a way that he didn't necessarily have last season, in my opinion. There's that one bit where we're kind of launching a transition. He receives with the Dharma kind of behind him 
and he does a Cruyff turn backwards against the momentum of the transition, which is actually the right thing to do in the moment. Um, but yeah, I think he looked really good. Um, there's a sense of directness and purpose in the final third when he came on. Uh, nice underlapping run, as you said, Tals, that, that led to the pen. Um, had outswingers on the left-hand side. I think it was kind of un unfortunate that he moved on to the right-hand side of the pitch when Jorginho came on and then Rice became the left eight, but he was still effective there anyways. Um, but yeah, really exciting. Yeah, uh, I think without a doubt, my favourite thing from his performance was those like pearlers of passes that he made from the left-hand side, like either across or around even the back line. Like, for example, his assist for Eddie's goal, which was just ridiculous. And I kind of wish there was a camera angle where you could see what he did at the start of the celebration. If there is, please find it. Please send it to me. <laughs> because to me, it looks like he just kind of turns around and looks to Arteta as if to say, yeah, I can do that all the time, start me. Which I think is amazing. So I, I want to know what Vieira did after that goal went in. But yeah, uh, he's been playing really well. Yeah. I think he's... If I'm Arteta after that performance, after that cameo, I'm starting him against United instead of Havertz. What do you guys think? I don't think that'll happen, but I, I wouldn't be against it happening at all. Um, I think it's... I, I have no clue, to be honest. Um, I wouldn't do it um, just because I think it's too much of a risk. Um, I, I do want him to, to, to have more minutes. Um, and I do suspect as well that I'll want him to replace Odegaard in the lineup long term at some point. Interesting. Interesting. We'll come on to that more later. <laughs> Let's highlight Eddie's performance because he was really, really great as well. Um, Lorcan, you said that you wouldn't start Vieira against United. Would you start Eddie against United? Yeah, definitely. Just um, independent of um, tactical concerns, I think it's we just need to reward him for his good form and attitude as well, which sounds like a fuzzy thing. But um, if you'd watched like the All or Nothing documentary, it shines through that he has uh, a brilliant attitude in training. Arteta keeps on talking about it. It's it's pretty self-evident on the pitch. Um, did he not all... take the captain's armband? Well, he did. As well. He did. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, oh, uh, I didn't know that. Me and my dad were having were having a, a discussion, a kind of an argument about who would take it, and he was, I can't even remember who he thought would take it. Like some random ones. Like I think he thought Saliba or White. Oh, he thought Partey as well, and I was like, no, no, it'll definitely be Eddie. And then <sighs> oh, yeah, man. so I had a little Ted bit of a victory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Um, but then also tactically, I think um, it's really good in that. Um, United are playing a high line. I don't expect them to be super high against us, mind. Um, but I think he's someone who can really bully Lissandro in the channels. Um, so, yeah, I think it just makes sense to start him. Alex? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, even even this game, I was kind of disappointed to see him not start, um, even though I kind of got it. But as I remember in the first half, I think I said in the chat, like, that we need Eddie on as soon as possible. So I'm really happy that he came on at half time, and maybe I'll just take this as an opportunity to kind of make the point that I think a criticism we've often made of Arteta is that he doesn't make substitutions early or the right substitutions. And I think this game was a big one where he made substitutions proactively and he made the right substitutions, in my opinion. So, so yeah, that was big. But against United, I think it's without a doubt I'd start Eddie. Um, yeah, the channel running is important. I think he's a sort of player that can really get <clears throat> in around Lissandro. Um, in the key moments to kind of put balls away. I feel like he will score against them if he plays. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely start Eddie. I, there are other issues that maybe come up and I, I'm, I'm genuinely very interested to see what Arteta opts to do at centre forward um, in a big game. This is our first big game of the season after City, obviously, where we played Havertz. So, so I'm interested, but I think the right choice is just a simple one and it's start Eddie. The, the other game-changing substitution we made was Zinchenko, who was good. And we will talk about that in the context of something completely different after this break. What a lovely break that was. I had a nice time. I hope you had a nice time. Anyway, we've got more tactics to talk about. 
mainly Partey inverting from right back, and if we even really need that. Obviously, last season we spent a lot of the time inverting Zinchenko, and it was a major part of our build-up structure. Um, now, with Zinchenko being injured, we've done quite a lot to replicate him with Partey on the right-hand side. But is it even worth doing that? Lorcan? Yeah, I mean... So I think the the pros of it, um, which is why, I, yeah. So the reasons why Teta would have would have made that decision was I do think we need somewhat of the um, of a possibility of a fixed three two structure in build up. Um, so I say somewhat because we saw it's an adaptive thing. We go between the four one the three two with either of the um, situational pivots going into the back line. I actually think this game is probably. Uh, our best execution of this iteration of 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 this particular tactic. Um, I think the cons of it are Partey still has to cover large spaces in defensive transition sometimes, which, you know, we've talked about his athletic decline on this podcast already. Um, I just don't like this reliance on Partey. Part of the reason he's been played there is because of his tactical acuity um, and at least knowing what to do doesn't always do it. Um, so I don't, I don't like this reliance on him over the course of 38 games either, given his injury history. Um, I also don't like the bloke. Uh, it also <laughs> removes dynamism <laughs> from our right-hand side uh, in the form of white, which I really don't like. Um, I don't think we're... I think we're currently using Saka in a way where he's our like get-out-of-jail option and we're not really doing things that make him look better, which I'm not a fan of at all. Um, and yeah, he's going to get injured at some point, party. So again, I don't really like the the fact we're relying on it early. For me personally, my biggest problem with playing Partey as the inverted right back is what you alluded to there with it getting Ben White out of what I think has been his best position for us. I think there's a lot of use to playing Ben White at right centre-back and Saliba at left centre-back. I think he can do that role really well, but I think the relationship that he has with Saka and his ability at right back means that we are worse for not having him there, even though, despite the benefits that he gives us at centre-back. I feel like I have a kind of a hot take here, or at least not one, because I, I I see everyone kind of agree that White is best at right back. But I think that's more for what it brings out in Saka than actually... I quite like White in the sort of like sometimes overlapping, sometimes playing at centre-back. And I think it's because I quite like what he can do in terms of his passing from centre-back. And I think Fulham was a very good example of some of the passes he was unlocking. I do agree. Overall, it makes sense with him at right-back currently. But I think it's because with Saka, as good as Saka is, you know, he's arguably our best player. Um but we don't actually have really nice ways of rotating and engaging with him to get him into the best positions. And I think White's overlaps is, is one of the ways of doing that. And obviously his passes um, for the narrowing run is another, right? But I think, and this is <clears throat> obviously, Odegaard is probably my favorite player, but I think part of the reason that we we lack with the sort of dynamic ability to get Saka into better positions is because of Odegaard rather than actually you know, needing to have whites. I think if we had someone like Smithrow as our right sentiment, suddenly we don't need white to be that consistent presence at, presence at right back and this kind of switch between right center back and right back um, is actually the better position for him to play. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's sort of where I stand there. I'm not really, yeah, I quite like him at center back, I have to say. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't like him at center back. And I think, I, so I, I think I agree with you, but I've come to a different conclusion. Whereas I mm. like him at centre back, and I also like him at right back for his relationship with Saka. But I think yeah, I get that. The re I, I think his relationship with Saka is reason enough to keep him at right back. I, I think I think so because of Odegaard. I, I, I buy that. I buy that. But I, it just if we kind of take it in isolation, that like that. I think if we look at isolation, what suits White best, I quite like what he can do when he has this little bit of license to move between right centre-back and right-back. Um, yeah. Yeah, I will say um, this was for me the um, the game in which 
we benefited our wingers the most or we, we made the tasks of wingers most easiest. Um, sorry, I phrased that terribly. Um, but we didn't do that in, <laughs> in the first two games. But I think we mm. sort of overloaded sides really well to switch to a relay player to then switch to the other side to find a winger in isolation really well. Um, so I think it was actually less of a problem this game, but in general, I, I, I just think someone on that right-hand side, particularly, the, um, has to be there for, for Saka in terms of a dynamic threat and also on the left-hand side. So do you guys think we need that inversion from either side? Like, when Zinchenko's back, obviously he inverts from the left, but we've replaced that with Partey from the right. Um, that implies that we need somebody to be inverting into the middle. Do you guys think we need that, or do you think we could play just as well with a more traditional pair of fullbacks? Lorcan? Um, in a word, yes, I think we do need it, partly because of the squad composition. It was also one of the reasons why I wanted like a central midfielder during the summer, um, which we, it doesn't look like we're going to get now. I think it makes us less um, tactically flexible. Uh, what it's like one of the alternatives you might point to is like an, an overlapping fullback on one or either side with a double pivot. Um, I think the exit of Tierney makes that look less likely. Um, and in terms of the only players we could sort of play in that double pivot, it would be Rice and Partey. Um, I don't think it looks likely. Therefore, I think we need one of the fullbacks inverting at all times. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, squad composition is the, the key. Um, the key thing there and also with Tierney going I can imagine you know us having Tierney means that we can kind of pull Martinelli closer Tierney overlapping and we don't need one of the eights to push forward but I think with Tierney going yeah unfortunately this is just the way we've composed the squad and it's something we need to commit to um but it does make me it does make me worried. Obviously, Zinchenko's not reliable fitness wise. Partey's declining and not reliable fitness wise himself. The other options, Kivior doesn't quite do the same thing. Um, I can't think of anyone on the right who would do the same thing. Timber's out forever. Oh uh, yeah, Timber's dead. I forgot about him. Um, we'll, we'll talk about him <laughs> next season. But even he wasn't. He wouldn't. Well, at least early indications. I'll I'll, I'll refrain from making a blanket statement there but even early indications were that he wouldn't be doing the same sort of role either um at least from the left maybe from the right as time went on do something similar to what Partey is doing it's weird because we've spoken so much about flexibility in previous pods but then there's still the sort of key inversion inverting fullback role that we are so reliant on but don't necessarily have a lot of depth in at least and particularly depth on one side like our depth is switching from one side to the other. Do you think that the increased emphasis over these first few games of the season on building up down the wings rather than through the centre is a way of trying to make us less reliant on an inverting fullback? I think it's because we can't build through the through the middle as well because um, we don't have two players that can kind of sit in the block and, and take us through uh, particularly in like a more measured sort of way that where we still have control of possession receiving deep and then once we've moved it arriving into the final third I think that's the main thing um that we kind of try play around the block because we can't really play through it as well I think when Sinchenko came in he immediately just made us able to play through the center a lot more um I think Rice I will say as a side note Rice actually looked pretty good next to Zinchenko um, playing through the middle because I think Rice what I've noticed is he can kind of play in those like half spaces in the deep half spaces better than than he does just kind of receiving blanketly in the middle but yeah last point Lorcan we got 3.1 3.01 expected goals this game and that's before all of the chances where we didn't even get a shot off obviously before the data nerds come for me yes single game XG is bad don't yell at us. But I think this is, you can take some indication here that we created quite a lot of chances from that big number. Do you think that's a problem that we weren't able to convert or or what, Lorcan? Um, I mean, it was a problem in that it cost us two points yesterday um, on the day of recording. 
Um, also, there's the whole penalty tax. I know like a penalty is now 0.8 XG and that adds to it. But like you said, there were a lot where we didn't even get a shot off. So there's also that. Um, yeah, I think it was just a bad day at the office. Honestly, I, I've alluded to the fact that I actually like the way we crashed the box um, and the positions that the players took up. I, I did tweet about it in terms of... Um, uh, yeah, the, the zones that the players occupied and stuff. Um, I really liked it. I think it was just a bad day at the office in terms of execution. Fair enough. Very quickly then, we are going to move on to your questions. We asked for your questions before this podcast, thinking that we'd have loads of time in the second half of this podcast to go through them. And then we spent a lot of time on the first half of this podcast. So all of a sudden we don't. So forgive us if we're not going to spend as much time on these questions as perhaps they deserve, because you asked some really, really nice questions. I do also want to give a shout out here to Mark, who asked the question which we used as our pot shot question at the beginning of the show. I fully intended to credit him at the start of the show and then forgot. So you're getting credited now. Thank you, Mark. The way that we're going to do this is I will ask the question and then one of Alex or Lorcan will answer it. And then we're going to move on to the next one because as mentioned, not loads of time. Our first question comes from Max, who asks, do you think these issues are more likely to be short-term or long-term? Complacent when in the lead, conceding bozo goals at home, wasteful in front of goal. So those are three issues that Max is asking about. Also, why does God allow suffering? Um, so quickly, I would say God allows suffering for Enketia winners, especially because Max <laughs> asked the the question. So temp- <laughs> suffering is temporary, Enketia winners are... Yeah. Um, And then quickly, just to answer this quickly, I'd say complacent when in the lead long term. We've talked about how this is sort of, yeah, a a tactical issue that's that's kind of multiplex. I hope that it decreases. Uh, Wasteful in front of goal, as you probably have deduced short term, hopefully. Um, I think we're currently arriving in the box in more... um, systemically good ways if that makes sense with getting to grips with the system or at least we, we did in the last game compared to the first two and then conceding bozo goals at home i'm just going to say short term because this is getting ridiculous now yeah yeah i, I want to add wasteful in front of goal is just can Odegaard stop taking shots from everywhere and remember that he is a midfielder <laughs> that's like the main one our second question that comes from kian he, he's asked a long and very interesting question, and then he's also tagged in a whole thread where he gave his opinion on it. Uh, so we're definitely not going to be able to do this justice. So apologies to Kian, who is also a friend of the pod and contributor before. So go and listen to the episode we had Kian and Sam on. We need them back on. Well, what, that's it's in the works. Don't you worry. Uh, <laughs> so Kian asks, do you guys think our current issues are down to natural adaptation problems to a new-ish system, and is it worth sticking with in the long term? Or do we need to change tack for our team without Zinchenko? Don't think it gets the best out of our players right now, but could change. I think I agree it doesn't get the best out of our players right now, but I think we also haven't seen what the current system can do um, and where it can get to. I think we've we've I, I imagine we will move back to last season's system if Sinchenko's fit against United but I think we're just gonna have to kind of make peace with the fact that we're gonna take a little bit of time to hit our stride this season definitely as we use our flexibility to kind of make changes game on game whether that's a good thing or not is um is up for debate maybe a longer part and it's something we've discussed in previous pods but personally I do think it's worth sticking with longer term but also with the acknowledgement that, at least for me, that it might not, we might not see the best of it this season. Um, all coming together, not the, not the system itself, but this kind of movement between systems, this use of flexibility might not land and get us 85 plus points this season. So, so that's kind of where I stand. Um, I do ex- actually expect us to change back to last season's sort of, similar to last season's system with Zinchenko. Um, but yeah, I'd be very interested if we don't, if we don't, but I do imagine we do. The one thing is though, is I think why it's also worth sticking with is when we don't have Zinchenko, we will have something to do. And I think Partey, yeah, on the right has looked, uh, we've spoken about this part has looked weak. So we kind of need to have plan Bs. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is natural adaptation. I think the roles that the players are coming into are also very complex. Rice at 6-6 is a complex role. I think he's learning it quickly. 
but still with some key flaws to his game. Um, the Havertz role, whatever that is, is complex and will take time. Um, yeah, and then new things to learn for for players like Ben White in terms of how he he moves as well. So yeah, I think it'll take time, but it's worth sticking with for now because I think we've already made a commitment to that. Our third question comes from Brandon, who asks, thoughts on Rice's capabilities as a central pinner? Um, Lorcan, I, I appreciate that we want quick answers to this, but you, can you just quickly go over what a pinner is before you answer? Oh, yeah. Um, so I suppose one of the hallmarks of um, conventional number six play is um, standing still. Actually, I'm going to quickly um, shout out John McKenzie's recent TIFO video on Arsenal because he explains this really well in a way that I couldn't dream of doing. But basically, it's sitting inside the opposition block um, and in so dr- doing, as the ball moves, you kind of stay still or, or stay in a particular, occupy space. Um, and yeah, in so doing, you draw markers with you. You sort of force the the if you're pinning centrally as a six would you're forcing players to sort of come inside and and, and be narrow be narrow exactly so space opens up outside yeah, so kind of using your gravity as a player to draw play draw the opposition towards you opening up space elsewhere exactly awesome so is rice good at that um i wouldn't say he's good at it yet um He's definitely improved in the time that he's come here. And I say definitely because I, I really do believe that. And I think that's pretty crazy. Um, so he'll take some time to learn it. He's not bad at it. Um, it's just important for a six in a possession side, which is why it sometimes stands out. Um, so yeah, I think he's improved a ton. He needs to improve a ton more. Um, there were moments where I really liked what he did against in, in this game, also in the Palace game, um, in terms of providing angle support. Um, basically being in the centre of the pitch and looking comfortable being there. Uh, I'm going to mention briefly a piece that I wrote. And basically my point was, my larger point was how his lack of consistent pinning is kind of congruent with our evolving evolving build-up principles, um, which John also talks about really well in that TIFO video. And I think part of that is Arteta's recognition of the deficiencies in Rice's game as of now. Um, But yeah, so short... The long and short of it is he's improved. He'll take some time to learn it. We kind of do need him to learn it on the fly, but also there are these get out. Um, we've evolved our tactics so as not to primarily depend on it. Our final question that we're going to cover here is from Jake. And he asks, is there a way to make the left-hand side work with Eddie in the team? Feels impossible to drop at the moment, but history shows Martinelli's output slash influence falls off a cliff with Nketiah in there. Sure, I actually wish I'd thought about this a bit more. Okay, um, I think there is. I actually think this game was decent, but also Fulham were crap. But I think this game was maybe a decent example. I think Martinelli had a pretty poor game in terms of final decision-making. Um, my main thing is, I guess it depends on, obviously, left-hand side, so the left eight and the left back. And when we had that run post-World Cup, Last season, Xhaka obviously was the eight throughout. Um, obviously, this was when Eddie came into the team as the centre forward. And before that, Martinelli had been doing really nice rotations with um, with Gabby J and it made us really dynamic. And I think all you really needed is sort of Xhaka rotating out on, onto the wide at times. Um, sorry, onto the, onto the flank at times. And then, yeah, Zinchenko kind of taking up more central spots. I think it, it can work maybe with Kivio seems to hold with really well while still being a really reliable retainer, which means maybe you can have Martinelli coming in. But I think the main thing would be how we use the eights. And I think someone someone like Fabio would be very interesting. I think he could really help in terms of where he kind of because he he himself is actually an underrated mover, I think. Um really in, he's really good at seam runs. Um, and I think he's also someone who can rotate out well. So I think he could help Dismark um, and get Martinelli. I think the question comes down to how do we kind of, the left-hand side working with how do we get Martinelli closer to goal to take shots is kind of how I, I view the question. I think maybe using Fabio could be could be an, an example. Um, yeah, or Kivio maybe is a little bit more of an outside shot. 
our final point of order for today is the next game, which is against the old enemy. That's not right. That's the Scottish one. It's against Manchester United. We'd love to be able to do a full preview here, but as mentioned, we spent a load of time dilly-dallying, talking about a goal we conceded inside the first minute at the start of the pod. So we don't have time to delve into it too much. But it's safe to say that United haven't had a great start to the season. We've won one and won two and lost one and looked not great most of the time. Um, let's ask the same question that I asked Manus last week. Um, what changes do you think will be made to our lineup going into the United game? So in the Fulham game, we started Ramsdale, then Partey, White, Saliba, and Kivior, then Rice, Havertz, and Erdogan in midfield, Martinelli, Trossard, and Saka up front. What do you think will be different from that 11 starting against United? Lorcan. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It, it could be the same or similar. I'm going to say I think Zinchenko will get a start this game. Um, I did think I did say that last game, but the fact he got what was it like 50 minutes in the tank with added time it makes me think that he's kind of up to match fitness now. Um, I also think Gabriel will come in. Um, it makes sense chiefly from a tactical point of view, but also just from again, maybe this is a bit fuzzy talk, but from a like if you stand back and, and morale point of view, like the fans are calling for it, which I know Arteta is really stubborn and stuff, but I think he has reason to do it anyway. Which means, as Alex said, the whole block will will slide along. I think uh, Partey will still play, but will play as the six. Um, and I think Rice will play as the eight, um, kind of for that transition control as well. But then I am looking out for how Partey might be exploited in the press as the six or in transition moments. Anyways, and then I think, as I said before, or I think I did, um, Eddie play as the um, striker. And I think Rice as the eight gives you that plus one in, in build-up. And we kind of can manipulate their press, which is sometimes effective, but sometimes not effective, especially in how they don't jump um, with the fullback. So yeah, I think that makes sense. Alex, do you have any disagreements with that? No, it's funny because I literally... I predicted the same, <laughs> the exact same team. Let's go. <laughs> in a in a message to a friend, and I I was not expecting um yeah Logan to to have the same with the Partey six and Rice eight, but I I agree. I think that's what we I I imagine that's what we will play. <clears throat> Sorry, hold on. But yeah, I think that's what we will play. So yeah, no disagreements here. If we if we're wrong, we go down together. Um, let's yeah. go. <laughs> I mean, I said earlier, and I don't disagree with it. If I was Arteta, I'd start um, Fabio Vieira. I think it would be he was really, really strong today against Fulham, and I think he's done enough to earn a starting spot. But also, we know Arteta is inherently conservative as a manager when it comes to changes, and I don't think he'd risk starting Fabio. So I 100% agree with what you guys have said, Alex. Final point, I think I think a reason or a good reason to have Fabio, I think he should come off the bench. Um, I think United are exploitable to the sort of things that he can do to unlock defences. Um, but we didn't really speak about it earlier. Maybe we should have with the blocks, but Arteta also kind of sees games in terms of phases of, of play, right? Not I'm talking about phases of the player, but like phases of the game. And I think he's someone who we can bring on in the last half an hour to do damage once we've like, sussed out how the game is and the best way to suss out how the game is i think we're playing away from home as well um, no it's at home is that at home oh, okay but still the best way is sort of to to be a little bit more conservative and then we can see how the game looks throw fabio on so see I, I would love to see fabio on for sure and maybe some throw but that's those are dreams at this point don't joke with that one <laughs> yeah <laughs> 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 Seb asked over or under 1.5 starts for... <laughs> and also throw. Yeah, ish. All right, probably let's under. end this pod. <laughs> anyway, let's end this pod, absolutely. Um, thank you very much to you two for coming on, as usual. Thank you to you for listening. Please check out the TIFO episode if you have not yet done so. It was released on Monday, the day before 
this one. So go and find it on the TIFO Football Podcast podcast feed. Um, please subscribe here and leave a nice review on Spotify or Google Pods or iTunes. Give us five stars or whatever they do. Um, let us know if you think we're good. Also, if you think we're rubbish, you can leave a review as well and we will take your message to heart and be sad about it. Uh, if you want to follow any of us on Twitter, you can do so. Our handles are in the description and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at PotShotPod. The podcast is also on Instagram and threads via the same handle. Thank you to James Blake for making our music. You can find him on all good music platforms at JW Blake. We'll see you after the United game. Cheers. <laughs>